Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Jennifer Grove, Prevention Director at NSVRC. Today, I'm talking with my prevention team colleagues, Sally Lasky and Mo Lewis, about creating protective environments. Hi, everyone. This is Jen. I'm the Prevention Director at NSVRC. Hi, this is Sally. I'm NSVRC's Evaluation Coordinator. Hey, this is Mo. I'm the NSVRC Prevention Specialist. So, Jen, what are we talking about today? Well, we are going to talk about community. I think now more than ever, we need community. These current times we're in, especially with COVID-19, have really highlighted the need for and really the importance of um, that, that need we have for human connection. I think moments of isolation, um, at least for me, I know this is important to have moments of isolation. Those can be helpful. Um, it can be a way for us to rest. It can be a way for us to recharge. But the extreme isolation that I think a lot of people are facing right now can also have a detrimental effect. Humans, you know, we as humans are social creatures. I really like the way that Brene Brown talks about human connection. And she says that as the energy, she defines it as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. And when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. I really love the way she talks about that. I haven't heard that before. I really like that too. I mean, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this too, that it's so important right now to be connected in some way to a community. Um, for me, I've been really trying to get to know my neighbors more, um, being able to share local resources with people um, and even getting involved in mutual aid, like this idea of mutual aid, just like helping each other out um, is really important right now, but it's also like just really important all the time. So that is definitely something that I know I've been thinking about and we've been talking about a lot. I know I've been thinking so much about this connection to community and how necessary it is in our prevention work specifically. We know that in doing community level prevention work, we're moving beyond individual approaches, right? It's collective action. It's about community. We're talking about building new and stronger partnerships and creating access to resources like Mo, you were just talking about and looking to support community health overall. It's really about community mobilization, the more I think about it. Yeah. This was a huge part of my initial training and work as a campus-based rape crisis center volunteer, but at times I remember being so um, focused and often overwhelmed with addressing direct service needs that I wasn't always able to center building community connectedness in that work that was so important to me as being part of that community. One of the ways I think that sexual violence harms individuals and kind of gets to some pieces that you were talking about, Jen, is that it also harms communities because of the isolation it often creates. 
-hmm. community organizers, and all of us that are working to shift the responsibility and the ownership of sexual violence prevention from social services to the community are often using a community development approach. I have learned so much from the folks at Mesa housed at the College of Agriculture at Purdue University. They use community organizing strategies to engage with farm laborers and immigrant communities, with LGBTQ communities, and tons of underserved students on college campuses. And what always um, stood out to me is the focus of their work being on trust. And I have to say for me, finding trust and building trust in my communities feels really critical and important right now. And their work that was building trust between organizers and community members and within the community itself was really addressing how sexual violence prevention intersects with other issues the community is facing. I just feel like we have so much we can learn from organizers. I completely agree, Sally. Um, our colleagues at Mesa, and just for those who might not be familiar with it, Mesa is Multicultural Efforts to End Sexual Assault. Um, they've really worked hard to organize and build trust in those communities that they work with, which is so necessary, right, when we're doing community-level prevention work. Meaningful connection with community members is key to their success. And I think community connectedness is one of, you know, it's definitely one of those protective factors for violence prevention. And, and I like how our colleagues at Prevent Violence North Carolina talk about this. Um, they say that a key component of community connectedness is collective efficacy. That's the co cohesion between members of a community and their willingness to intervene on behalf of the common good. This this really kind of speaks back to like a lot of work we did years ago around um, engaging bystanders, right? So that co collective efficacy and and people wanting to to intervene um, on behalf of the common good. So higher levels of collective efficacy are associated with lower levels of youth violence, child maltreatment, intimate partner violence. Which makes sense, right? It makes sense that a feeling of belonging to a community and a real sense of connection to others would create this environment where safety is a priority. Oh, definitely. I mean, one of the one of the ways that we can be doing this kind of community level work and create community connection is by working to create protective environments. And that really means like, social norms, physical structures, policies, like all of those things that contribute to an environment. And like you were saying, Jen, where safety is a priority. Yeah. And when we've talked about this before, about community level approaches and changing environments, you know, Mo, you and I did a podcast about that a few months ago. We talked about how, how daunting that feels, like what a huge task. Um, but we really want to reassure you, all of you listening, that it is doable. <laughs> exactly. I've been thinking a lot about protective environments, specifically in the context of COVID-19 and how many of us have focused on creating social pods or quarantines and how this aligns with work that has been happening with community organizers working to prevent child sexual abuse. 
Yeah, Sally, can you say more about like what a pod is, just in case people haven't heard of it before? Because I know it's been something that's been around since before the pandemic, right? Yes, definitely. Um, originally developed by Mia Mingus for the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, um, pod mapping is an accountability tool for addressing harm within communities. It is focused on relationship building and it can help people assess who they can rely on and who to turn to for support. And I, I love this approach because it does make it doable. These pods are really this microcosm of a community and it's a lot easier to get organized when it's a smaller subset of folks in fact, Mia talks a lot about or um, has recently been talking more about not using the term community at all in this pod mapping since so many people that they've worked with didn't have a strong sense of community coming into the work or just folks have such a different idea about what community means. And I think we talk about language all the time and know that we all come in with different perspectives. So for me, focusing on the pod mapping can make a huge difference in people's lives. And it's also very concrete and doesn't get tied up with specific things around language and approaches. I really love that. I feel like a lot of us, I mean, you think about the word community and it's like, what does that, what does that even mean? I think it can feel so big. Um, yeah. When I'm thinking about creating protective environments, um, one of the things that I think about is policy work. And I feel like that's another one of those things that can have that sort of language issue of like, what does that, what does that mean? I think a lot of times we think of policy related to stuff like laws and legislation and like really big P policy things, which, you know, that stuff is important too. But um, one of the things that we've been really talking about is um, how policies can really improve the way that things are done, just like around us, where we live or where we work or where we hang out. So at this community level, um, one of the things that's been shown to help create these protective environments is working to reduce alcohol outlet density, which I just think is so interesting. Um, and really it means looking at things like why, you know, why are there more stores that sell alcohol in certain neighborhoods and like who made that choice and like what's the history of how those decisions were made. I think there's a lot that we can do to look at history, learn from things like redlining, which specifically was created to keep um, Black people and Black communities out of um, suburbs and neighborhoods and how that sort of policy is still impacting our city today. Um, also things like where parks are located, where social services are located. So sometimes just doing this policy work can mean looking at things like zoning and then working to make sure that those types of policies are equitable and fair across the board. Um, I think these types of policies really make a big difference in terms of creating those protective environments and they can be a really great way to work in partnership with people who are in like other fields and other movements. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to say about policy work is that it, it doesn't even have to happen in that big of a scale too. It can happen in organizations we're part of. And by that, I mean like your church or like your kids little league or your gym, like any place that you go. So those are all places that you know, they value having positive and protective environments. They really want people to be safe, right? So 
this is an area where we can use our knowledge about sexual violence prevention to really help like bolster the rules and the guidelines that they have already in place and then just, you know, help make them the best they can be. And things like that can have a really good impact in terms of, you know, creating that community that we want to be part of. I couldn't agree more, Mo. And and I really, uh, when you were talking about redlining and thinking about things like where our social service is located, where our parks located, um, it brought to mind one of my favorite examples of how people are creating these protective environments. And that is focused on the importance of green spaces. I don't know about you all. I feel like I actually do kind of know about you all a little bit because I know <laughs> you both like to be out and about and outside and enjoying the sunshine and going to your local places to mow. You like to walk your dog, and Sally and and I like to hike and, and do things, you know, and I um, I'm out and about all the time, and I think about how important green spaces are to me personally. Um, and so when we, when we say the word green spaces, like these are, these are things like trails, community gardens, parks, and there's actual research that points to the connection between access to these green spaces and the impact on community members' mental health, their physical health. And actually lower rates of violence in communities. Um, I think this is something that we're really just, um, some of us doing sexual violence prevention work are just kind of hitting the tip of the iceberg right now. Um, but some folks have been working on this for quite some time. Our colleagues at the Prevention Institute, they've put together this really fabulous advocacy toolkit for park equity, life expectancy, and power building. We're going to Make sure oh, that, cool. yeah, we're going to make sure you all are connected with this, um, all the things we're talking about, these resources in our in our show notes. But this um, toolkit that they have explores how parks are connected to health and health equity. And it also looks at the impact of park and green space inequities. Um, you know, urban green spaces offer a ton of social, health, environmental, and economic benefits for communities. And when you peel, peel back the layers, inequities and in access to green spaces is rooted in what you were talking about, about, Mo, with like redlining, you know, rooted in laws and policies that are connected to racial, ethnic and socioeconomic segregation. Mm-hmm. And their guide offers guidance for people and groups who want to organize and advocate for park equity in their communities. Um, and it's fascinating. It really gives me a lot to think about in my own personal community work. And um, I know like in the city I live in here in Harrisburg, you know, they're really thinking about this and doing a lot of work to, um, yeah, redesign some of the parks in our urban spaces and making it really accessible, um, taking down some of the fencing that had been up and unfortunately, like closing off, they had been closing off some places to, to people. And some for some people, um, th- these are the only green spaces they have access to. And so um, I'm just a real passionate about um, access to, to green spaces. And so I love the idea that we can be thinking about how we can work on this in our communities and that that will have an impact on, um, on our violence prevention work. Yeah. So we've kind of talked about a lot of things today, um, (laughs) giving folks a taste of uh, a little bit of a taste of a few different uh, ways that people are working to create protective environments. And in future episodes, we're going to talk about some specific programs that are doing this work in communities. 
So yeah, let us know what topics or things you want us to cover next. If there's something interesting happening that you're working on or someone you know is working on, let us know. We definitely want to hear about it. Just email us at prevention at nsvrc.org. It was fun talking with you both today. Yeah, it was fun talking with you on a podcast. (laughs) It was great. I feel better. Oh, (laughs) I love. I feel more connected. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for bringing it all back together, Sally, in the the closing (laughs) here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.